Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is the podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the book of Matthew. Today is episode 857, and we're looking at Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 to 54. Let's read our passage. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick, and offered him a drink. But the rest said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city, and appeared to many. When the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. This is the Gospel according to Matthew. Matthew's writing this Gospel, this account of the ministry of Jesus, to convince people that Jesus is the Messiah. We're in the section now. We're almost to the end of Matthew's Gospel. This is the crucifixion. Jesus had been arrested the previous night, taken to the high priest before the whole council of the Sanhedrin. They had determined that he was a blasphemer, deserved to die. They sent him to Pilate, the Roman governor and convinced Pilate to have him executed. So Pilate sent him out, had him flogged, and sent to be executed on the cross. Crucifixion. He had been mocked by the soldiers, by the general public, by the religious leaders, and even by the criminals being executed alongside him. So Jesus is on the cross. Now Mark tells us that the crucifixion itself began about 9 a.m. So in Chapter 27, verse 45, we read, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. Now, darkness, does that mean pitch black, nobody can see a thing? Or does it just mean it was like a heavy, heavy, heavy cloud cover to where it seemed dark? The point is, darkness came over the whole land, and everybody sees it as a sign from God. Now, we see this kind of things in the Old Testament with God's judgment. In fact, it was the ninth plague on Egypt was darkness descending over the whole land. It was just where the Egyptians were. It wasn't where the Israelites were in Egypt. And that was the last plague immediately prior to the final plague, the death of the firstborn. We see similar things of God's judgment in prophet Amos chapter 8 verses 8 and 9. Because of this, won't the land quake and all who dwell in it mourn? All of it will rise like the Nile. It will surge and then subside like the Nile in Egypt. And in that day, I will make the sun go down at noon. I will darken the land in the daytime. So this imagery of the darkness is imagery of something big happening at the hand of God. At 46, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? 
things to note here, or he cries out with a loud voice. Crucifixion is supposed to be a long, drawn-out process. Unless somebody has been beaten so badly that they die fairly quickly, uh, you, you die by suffocation because you have to push up with your feet to take the pressure off of your lungs so you can take a breath in. And when you eventually tire out so much that you can no longer lift up, then you begin to die of suffocation. And you tend to fade away. So as time goes on, you get weaker and weaker and eventually just fade away. Here Jesus cries out with a loud voice. So this is immediately prior to his death. And this loud voice is not what you would normally get from somebody dying from crucifixion. And he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And that's translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? This is the first line of Psalm 22. And it's in Aramaic. And Psalm 22 is a picture of somebody dying on a cross. Now it's from David at some point when David was really lamenting, really in spiritual agony, but it is so descriptive of Jesus on the cross. Now, interesting things about here. One is just the words he uses, my God, my God. When have we, prior to this, heard Jesus refer to God as my God? He always refers to him as my Father. When speaking to him directly, he just calls him Father in prayer. When speaking about him, he calls him my father. Here he calls him my God. Now, he is saying the words of Psalm 22, but is he intending to quote Psalm 22? Or is this what he's saying? And Psalm 22 is more predicting what he's going to say. And we've got to keep in mind, as we've discussed before, the cross is way more than physical torture for Jesus. If you were either die on a cross, it would be physical torture. It would be really bad. But for Jesus, it's much worse because remember why Jesus is dying. He's dying as a sacrificial sin offering. He's taken the death penalty that we deserve because of our sin. And in that, he's taking our sin upon himself. And we see here what's going on on the cross. We don't really understand it, but we start to see now why he was in such agony on the Garden of Gethsemane. It wasn't just he was going to a terrible, terrible, terrible physical torture and death, but this spiritual separation from the Father. Now, is that why he says, my God versus my Father? Although he does say, my God. So this is not a lack of faith. This is a lack of contact. That in his taking the sins of the world on him, he is separated from the Father. Now we step back and say, how does that work? Is the Trinity broken here? And that's where we have to say, we don't understand it. We don't even understand the Trinity. And so the intricacies of the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, we can't truly comprehend. We know some things about it, but... What we do see here is this spiritual separation from the Father. Verse 47, Then some of those standing here heard this, and they said, He's calling for Elijah. That's where he says Eli. And Eli, you could say, sounds like Elijah. Is he calling for Elijah? 
because there's this idea that Elijah is supposed to come at the end times. Some people thought that Elijah would be the one to come and rescue people in distress. Verse 48, immediately one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a stick and offered him a drink. Now, sour wine, is that a reference to Psalm 69, 21? Perhaps. It says one of them ran and got this. One of the, who's them? Is it a bystander, one of the people standing there, or one of the soldiers? And would the soldiers allow a bystander to offer this drink? And it's sour wine. So is that meant as an act of mercy? We don't understand what he's saying. Give him something to drink so we can hear what he's saying better. Or is this just more mockery? It's hard to say all that. But we do see some imagery from Psalm 69, 21 here. Verse 49. But the rest said, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Let me step back and say, it's like they almost have an expectation. You know, something might actually happen here. Maybe Elijah really will show up. This is a miracle worker. This is something very unique about this guy. And maybe Elijah is really going to show up and rescue him. Then we'll believe. So it seems to be an expectation. Some, you know, something could actually happen here. Verse 50. But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. So again, we see here Jesus crying out with a loud voice versus is slowly fading away. And it's almost as if he chooses at this point to die. It says he gave up his spirit. Now, the word here is pneuma, and that can mean either spirit or breath. So he could just be simply saying he gave up his breath, stopped breathing. But I think most everybody believes it should be translated spirit. He gave up his spirit. It's showing the intentionality of his death. That goes along with, in John, he says, it is finished. In Luke, he says, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. And that's a quote from Psalm 31.6. People universally believe it. It should be translated, gave up his spirit. Verse 51. Suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. The curtain of the sanctuary. There's two curtains. There's a curtain at the entrance to the sanctuary of the temple, the outer curtain. And there's a curtain, the inner curtain, which separates the Holy of Holies from the outer holy place. And so which one is torn? It doesn't matter necessarily. The The bigger deal would be the inner curtain, but the outer curtain is the one people would see, although everyone would hear about it if the inner curtain had been torn. But the curtain is torn in two, and the earth quaked. And we often see that in the Old Testament, earthquakes associated with things that God is doing, and rocks split. Interesting, the same word for torn, the tearing of the curtain, and the splitting of the rocks is the same verb. Now, the tearing of the curtain of the sanctuary, the symbolism here, there, there's a whole list of things that could be intended here. But I think the biggest things intended are, this is the end of the Old Testament sacrificial system. The whole Old Testament process of how you connect with God is ended. And access to God is now via Jesus Christ versus the temple activity. 
And there's a lot of discussion about this in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. The idea of Jesus has made access to God possible. One of the passages in Hebrews 6, verses 19 and 20. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner, because he's become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So, several places in Hebrews you see this imagery of Jesus has already made possible access to God, and this idea of the curtain. So, that uh, implication there is the inner curtain that was torn. Verse 52, the tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city, and appeared to many. Matthew is the only one of the gospel writers that mentions this. And a lot of confusion here. What is really going on here? Just some, some oddities with this. One, it says that the tombs were opened and saints who had fallen asleep were raised, but they didn't come out until after his resurrection. So were they raised from the dead and waited two days before to come out, or were they actually raised after Jesus was raised? The idea of Jesus being the first one resurrected, I kind of go along with the idea that they really weren't raised until after the resurrection, but Matthew's just including these details here. Remember, Matthew's not real chronological here. So, yeah, this happened, but it happened as part of the ongoing process of things. Some say this is really more imagery talking about the future resurrection. But why would Matthew include it here if it wasn't something that actually did happen? Verse 54, when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, truly, this man was the son of God. Now, they would know about the tombs being opened. They would know about people coming out after the resurrection. They wouldn't know even about the tearing of the temple curtain. But what have they witnessed right here where they are? The darkness. And that's got to be pretty freaky. Three hours of darkness in the middle of the day. The earthquake. Just the manner in which Jesus died. He didn't die like a normal crucifixion. He didn't just fade away, fade away, fade away. Here he is crying out with a loud voice and acting in ways that just were not normal for crucifixion. And they knew what he was accused of. They knew what people were saying about him. They knew what people were mocking him about. And so when there's people are saying he's the son of God and you have all this strange stuff going on at his death, these guys are standing there saying, I think this guy really is the son of God. So interesting that these Gentiles recognize the truth. It was a Roman centurion that Jesus had commented on earlier and said, I haven't seen this kind of faith among the people of Israel. So here we have the death of Jesus. The gospels leading up to this the whole time. Jesus has been predicting this the whole time that he was going to go to Jerusalem, be handed over to the Gentiles, be flogged, be mocked, be crucified. But then we still have this last part of this whole prediction and be raised on the third day. 
We have the death of Jesus Christ on a cross as a substitutionary death for the sins of the world. But there's still more to come. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through Matthew.